0: Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Meradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Later in the program, Byron Callen of the independent Washington research firm Capital Alpha Partners with a look at the week ahead and whatever else is on his mind. But first, joining us is Sam Bendett of the Center for Naval Analyses. He's also a fellow at the Center for a New American Security uh, and part of CNA's Crack Russia team and one of the world's leading experts on the Russian military and unmanned systems. Sam, welcome back to the program. I hope you and yours had a terrific weekend.
1: Thanks so much, Vago. Good to be back.
0: Uh, and before we get started, this program is brought to you by HII. HII is a trusted defense and technologies partner and the largest aggregator of U.S. Department of Defense cyber data. HII, Delivering Hard Stuff, Done Right. Uh, Sam, thanks very much again for joining us. It wouldn't be Monday unless we were together. Um, The Russians are escalating this war. Uh, They uh, fired on a Palau-registered cargo ship, the uh, Sukra. Uh, Okan, if I'm pronouncing uh, that uh, correctly, uh, from um, accessing uh, Ukrainian uh, ports. Uh, The Russians obviously walked away from the grain deal uh, a couple of weeks ago and have been attacking Ukrainian grain supplies and said that any ship that tries to cross into Ukrainian territory uh, would be uh, subject to boarding or worse. The Russians only do this kind of stuff when they're trying to uh, escalate a situation or deliver a message. Uh, basically uh, pretty confident that that we will back down. I and a number of others on the show have called for, you know, breaking the blockade using um, Ukrainian territorial waters that lead into those of uh, the countries uh, on the uh, western side of the Black Sea, and then uh, eventually into Turkish waters and uh, into the Mediterranean. Walk us through what this incident means and how it should change the way we think about the war.
1: Well, this may be Russia's response to Ukrainian continuous attacks against Russian military ports. So uh, Ukraine has attacked uh, ports in the Crimea with unmanned surface vessels. It struck a port of Novorossiysk with a manned surface vessel, which is uh, a significant Russian economic um, and infrastructure point on the Black Sea coast. So this may be a Russian response to that, trying to go after ships now heading into the Ukrainian ports. If uh, Russians were unsuccessful in launching missile and drone attacks against a lot of Ukrainian infrastructure on land, they may be going now after Ukrainian livelihood at sea.
0: How does this play into where we are uh, in the war, depending on who you talk to, there is Uh, a sense that the ukrainians are either it's a grinding war and they're barely grinding ahead or it's a grinding war and the ukrainians are making progress where are we
1: ukraine is trying to make incremental progress in um in the southern uh, regions trying to kind of cut uh, russia's land bridge between the crimea and the donbas there's been some progress towards the city of melitopol with ukraine taking several villages and a certain amount of territory but it is a relatively slow progress exactly because the russian military has had time to dig in and establish very significant and deep defenses and fortifications we've been talking about this for weeks and usually once again for our listeners this type of uh with this type of war favors the defender because the defender usually has more protection but ukraine has been successful in breaching some of these russian defenses and um, in taking territory and extracting casualties but it is a slow progress precisely because the russians have learned and have tried to adapt to the ukrainian tactics
0: um, there is uh, some uh, reporting uh, by uh, also uh, the Great Wall Street Journal uh, reporter Dan Michaels uh, in Brussels that focuses on uh, you know maybe the, the focus ought to be sh- Ukraine's focus ought to be sh- uh, shifting uh, to an offensive uh, next uh, spring. Uh, that progress this year has been a little bit weaker uh, than expected. There's still a couple of uh, weeks to go uh, before the weather turns very bad in the region and makes it very difficult to fight. Ultimately, what's the wisdom in doing that? Because presumably a year from now, the Ukrainians may be stronger, but the Russians will be ever more dug in and have more weapons at their disposal as well as they surge their own production.
1: Exactly. And uh, Russians may have different types of weapons. They have more of different kinds of weapons to use against Ukraine. They may bring up production of some of the key elements that we have been discussing as well such as um, unmanned aerial vehicles uh, including the kamikaze drones used by both sides the fpv type drones uh, which the russian volunteers not just the defense sector but the volunteers have claimed um, that they will launch production in the many thousands and tens of thousands which could uh, have a significant tactical effect on the ukrainian advances so i can't really comment on the plans to Uh, launch uh, another um, advance in the spring, because a lot can happen between now, which is August, and uh, presumably next March.
0: Um, Let me uh, just uh, briefly, I want to ask you uh, a few other questions, both about the Russian economy and where war production is, uh, and as well for uh, the Army uh, Annual Forum, uh, the second one that's starting under the uh, uh, shadow of this war. Is there an allied solution to getting that grain out of Ukraine absent a grain deal? I mean, Erdogan is trying to push uh, the Russians, uh, you know, use this special relationship with Putin to get uh, the Russians back to the negotiating table. That doesn't appear to be uh, the case, even though Russia may be coming under pressure from other uh, countries around the world who were uh, depending on that grain getting out of Ukraine. Ultimately, what are the solutions to this if the Russians really want to choke off Black Sea trade? I mean, my argument is, unless we maintain freedom of navigation to the Ukrainians, our uh, claims of doing or supporting the Ukrainians in this war to deter China is not going to work because the Chinese are trying to strangle uh, Taiwan as well, right, By, by sea. What's the right approach here to be sending a consistent message from your standpoint?
1: Well, there are probably multiple approaches here Uh, i'm not a maritime uh, expert but um, if worse comes to worse there are also land corridors and for example ukrainian grain could be exported to uh, let's say turkey or greece via for example moldova romania and bulgaria and that's an option if uh, sea-based navigation is becoming impossible for the ukrainian vessels
0: right um, and, uh, it, it's also interesting how, uh, Russians have also conducted some strikes on the Danube, uh, raising, uh, concerns in the Alliance that if a missile goes long, right, it's, it's not that wide of a river, uh, and it goes to the other side, uh, what, well, you know, the kind of challenges that that, uh, will, uh, pose. Um, let me get to the Russian, uh, economy. Um, obviously it's a very heavily sanctioned economy. Um, but at the same time, it is still getting access to uh, commercial goods, Western commercial goods, uh, for example, you know, appliances like washing machines and, and taking the electronics out of that and uh, allowing uh, Russia um, access to electronics for its weapons industry, which is now running 24 uh, seven on everything from artillery munitions to long range weapons uh, and like. Financial Times is writing that the buying power of the ruble is at a 16-month low, down 25% against the dollar uh, as the um, export economy has uh, collapsed. What's the right way to think about this? And what is the impact and implications on a Russian war machine?
1: Well, first of all, Russians no longer need to get microchips out of washing machines. I think that was kind of a blip on the map, uh, because at this point, as we have seen and as has been evidenced by multiple Um, analytics, research efforts, and investigations, Russia is able to get microelectronics and semiconductors through various channels, including third countries and third parties. And we talked about this earlier as well. If the sanctions cannot impede and stop, for example, Russia's trade with China, with India, with Iran, with most of Africa, with lots of uh, countries in South and Southeast Asia and Latin America, then Russia has many avenues in acquiring what it wants. Yes, some of the products are not Western quality products that many Russians are used to, but many other products that Russia is getting, for example, to the consumer market and to the industry are simply good enough. We talked a lot about how uh, China is dominating Russia's high tech sector. For example, China is dominating uh, Russian market for smartphones, but Russians don't seem to mind when it comes to the defense sector. We talked about this as well. Russia has plenty of avenues for acquiring what it needs, apparently. And a lot of these avenues cannot be closed off by sanctions, precisely because Russia still maintains trade with many, many countries around the world, including major economies like China and India. And therefore, a weak ruble, for example, isn't necessarily an impediment. Certain parts of Russian economy have indeed been affected. Some of the more high-tech sectors on the civilian side have been affected. But the Russian defense industrial sector has been more insular, more siloed from the rest of the civilian economy and operates its own parallel structures, oftentimes in competition with even Russia's own domestic civilian efforts, especially when it comes to, for example, uh, high tech. And so uh, Russian military still has enough supplies, uh, both domestically supplies that was probably stocking up upon Before the war and during the war, Russian military, the government and the intelligence sector maintains a lot of ways to get what it needs through different types of uh, supply networks, which if uncovered and exposed can be rebuilt and reconstituted elsewhere. So it's a difficult process and a lot of sanctions are probably not going to have an immediate effect as was hoped last year. Some of the sanctions will have an effect on Russia maybe within a decade's time because that's when uh, Russia's lag in uh, technology development and domestic high-tech will probably be felt. But for now, Russia still has enough, good enough, basically, uh, efforts and technologies that it is putting to the war.
0: Uh, and, And so this whole notion of whether or not it's the import or the export economy, from your standpoint, they're more theoretical numbers than practical reality, given That the russians have within their borders a lot of what they need to produce these weapons and are getting enough of what they need from its own allies and partners even if they're second and third party cutouts
1: right and uh, again all of these investigations have uncovered multiple schemes multiple avenues by which the russian military and the russian government can get what it wants And so for each one such investigation that uncovers a supply network supply chain there's probably a dozen more which are reconstituted and are functioning elsewhere again russian uh, government and the russian economy maintains uh, direct contact with many countries around the world and many countries around the world are not part of western and american sanctions against russia they view this war very differently and therefore, they have their own approach to Russia. So even in Russia's own abroad, in Central Asia and the Caucasus, there's still plenty of ways that the Russian military, the government, Russian industry can get what it needs.
0: Um, let me uh, take you uh, to the last question, which is the uh, annual army uh, forum and what we should experience, uh, expect to hear uh, at it from uh, Russian leaders as well as industry. This
1: is Russia's ninth annual um, Army Forum. It is now the biggest military expo and forum in the country. It is a Russian sort of window to the world where Russia exhibits its military technologies and systems to international partners. It's uh, Russia's proof that Russia is not isolated and that many international delegations, including from key partners like China, India and Iran, can exhibit their um, technologies and systems there. This year, Putin claimed that there were 80 different types of international delegations exhibiting their products as well. This is also Russia's way to trade with the world in weapons and systems. And uh, oftentimes, Army uh, Forum is a platform in which uh, major defense industrial companies like Rosalba Export, announce major multi-million and multi-billion dollar arms deals, both domestically as well as internationally. This year, just like last year, the emphasis is on the war in Ukraine and the systems that are key to that um, uh, effort for Russia. And therefore, there's a lot of UAVs exhibited, different types of autonomous robotic systems that will be exhibited, and different types and um, ways in which uh, Russian military intends to protect its forces against such threats. So a lot of electronic warfare, a lot of counter UAS systems, and a lot of different types of defenses exhibited against um, the threat of Ukrainian drones in the war. And so uh, this is, once again, Russia's way of showing uh, the world that um, it isn't isolated. It is ready to trade weapons and systems and that um, Russian weapons and systems are on the par with the best that other countries have to offer there will also be competitions the army games with russia's allies in russia and in other states and there will also be uh, smaller army forums across the country across russia likewise exhibiting different wares and different uh systems by uh, local regional governments
0: uh, and uh, latest update on the uh, long-range uh, missile uh, and unmanned war uh, between the two sides and uh, ukraine getting uh, more aggressive, more barrages against Moscow, as well as uh, against Russian uh, shipping. The Russians every other day mounting a large barrage uh, all across uh, Ukraine that have proven uh, to be very deadly. Any, any what? What's the latest in that uh, uh, tit-for-tat exchanges? Well, Russia continues to use uh, Shahed or
1: Gerain drones against Ukraine, along with the missiles. Uh, Ukraine is able to shoot down most of these uh, missiles and drones but the debris from uh, such uh, strikes can also cause uh, minor damage or sometimes even major damage um, on the ground and the Ukraine is able to reach Moscow again and again and again with its military grade drones in fact just a few days ago there was another attack on Moscow and uh, Russian air defenses claimed to have shut down a uh, Ukrainian drone that was able to penetrate inside the city so both sides are demonstrating long-range capacity, the capacity to strike deep inside um, the heart of the other country. And uh, Russia doesn't seem to let on with its, uh, with its use of Gheranya. And uh, again, we are uh, led to believe that Russia will only accelerate such use because it is building a, a massive factory uh, deep um, in the Russia's heartland on the Kama River where thousands of these drones are going to be manufactured. There was a uh, minor scandal about that factory. Apparently, Russian, um, uh, Russian government and, uh, excuse me, the local government and uh, the local entrepreneurs, which are building this factory and using this factory to assemble these drones, are using young people, ages 15 to 21, from local universities, virtually for no pay, working long hours, assembling these drones from kits. And so this was splashed on uh, on Telegram. This was uh, uh, uncovered on social media. This kind of uh, an issue isn't going to stop the Russian efforts. And using young people, uh, again, is uh, indicative of the drive to lower the costs, lower the production costs for these type of drones while using cheap and available labor. Uh, some of these young people get paid. Some of them do not even if they complain, nothing is really going to happen. So uh, Russia is uh, intending to build more of different types of UAVs. And at the Army Forum, uh, there was a lot of interest towards Iranian, uh, Iranian pavilion with Defense Minister Shoigu uh, visiting and looking at different types of Iranian drones, not just Shahed, but other loitering munitions and long-range strike weapons.
0: Sam, uh, thanks very much as always for joining us. Hope you have a great uh, week and look forward to having you back on the program next week. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Fargo. And a quick word from our sponsors, Bell Sponsors, our daily podcast, HII sponsors are Global Coverage, General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors are Strategy Coverage, Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors are Command and Control Coverage, and GE Aerospace sponsors are Air and Naval Coverage. And as it's Monday, joining us now is my good friend Byron Callen of the independent Washington research firm Capital Alpha Partners with a look at the week ahead and whatever else is on his mind. Byron, uh, welcome back and hope you guys had a great weekend.
2: I am and I'm calling in from Maine right now, so uh, the summer's not over yet.
0: Uh, Exactly. A little little while uh, to go and Summers are beautiful uh, up there. Um, Congress is uh, out of session, which for other people is also a beautiful time of year. Um, But there are concerns uh, are mounting, uh, right, that we're headed for a shutdown. We discussed that on Friday's uh, show. You and I discussed that last week as well. And on top of all that, the administration has disclosed this $41 billion supplemental funding request that includes Ukraine funding and a lot of other things that's faced a little bit of criticism for uh, not just what's in it but what's not in it for example uh, Taiwan aid that some people thought was in there let's talk, first talk about your uh, base case scenario any change uh, from uh, the prospect that there might be a shutdown but as long as it's not no. more than 10 or 15 days it's no problem
2: well I you know it's never not a problem but I think the you know there was going to be a supplementary request based on disaster relief just because the emergency relief fund at FEMA The projection was, I think this is maybe a month and a half ago, it was going to be in the negative nine to 12 billion dollar range by the end of the fiscal year. So I I always I was expecting there would be a supplemental request and then the Ukraine aid would be attached to that. Obviously, there were other um, administration uh, priorities, including some more money for border um, border control surveillance that were included. Um, but I don't think, you know, I, it's blazingly obvious to me. And I think, you know, that was the consensus last week that, yeah, this is going to create another problem with, particularly with the house. Um, you know, but I still think at the end of the day, as much as there's going to be drama over this, we could very well see, a, a you know, shut down to start <clears throat> the initial week or so of the. A uh, new fiscal year in October, I do think we'll get the continuing resolution passed. And then, you know, where I start to worry is kind of when you get to into that December, January time, that's really going to be the important part because that's where you reset um, the appropriations to 99% of the FY23 level. So it was always going to be a rocky road. I really didn't look at the, um, the up last week and think that it was something that was incrementally positive or negative you know i still think we're probably going to have to get another ukraine supplemental sometime in fy24 this one you know 13 billion or so for for the department of defense a lot of it focused on operations and maintenance um weapons and munitions i suppose there's a you know some of this money goes i think to 2025 um so there, there should be another supplemental, but, you know, that's really going to be dictated by what Ukraine needs and, and also, frankly, what the capacity is of U.S. industry to deliver on these.
0: Um, outlays are at an all-time high, so you still see uh, declining budget authority, basically, oh, yeah. compared with what 22 levels Well,
2: yeah, are out- I mean, and that was just, you know, you heard a lot of companies talk about 3% growth in FY24 over FY23. In the base budget, I have felt, you know, you really have to include these Ukraine supplementals because of the impact they're having on industry. If you do want to think about industry wide growth rates, although you know the supplementals are pretty, we're not buying new uh DDG51 destroyers or F35s with <clears throat> with that money. But um, you know, from an overall standpoint, FY23 uh investment, which was you know, procurement and RDTE, I think we're up around 12 and a half, 12.7%. The FY24 number was always going to be down uh, from a growth standpoint, um, you know, with this latest number uh, that got dropped last week, again, presuming that Congress passes that we don't revert to the 99% at FY23 level, you know, you're still looking at something in that kind of, I think what all is said and done will probably be in the 4 to 6% range. So yeah, it's a slowing growth rate, but still pretty attractive growth. Um, and again, this is budget authority, so that still has to translate in outlay growth. And, um, you know, as you guys have commented <clears throat> in your, uh, Sunday calls, uh, companies have been raising their organic growth guidance for 2023. And, you know, that should also happen, I think in 24 and 25, not, not as much, but, um, they started out pretty conservative this year.
0: You see passage of this supplemental. Do you see any more money coming DOD's
2: way? as no. a result? And does Congress add more stuff to it? Um, I don't have a clear line of sight to that yet, Bago, I think we'll have to wait, you know, until literally Congress is back in session. But I don't know. I, I, I really, uh, you know, we saw the drama over the debt ceiling. And at the end of the day, we didn't default. And so as, as much as, you know, Congress likes to literally walk up to the edge and look over, they haven't jumped yet. And I, and I still think, you know, there's a fundamental issue here, which is if you don't uh, fill a, the FEMA coffers, <clears throat> some of the states that are the reddest in the country are the ones that are frankly most vulnerable to things like hurricanes, wildfires. Um, and, and I just think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Congress has to act on this if if they really think that uh, if, if people are going to stand a chance to get reelected in 2024, if they don't, if we, you know more more places burn or more there's more damage from a couple of massive hurricanes that you know you look at the water temperatures in the gulf and the atlantic um you know it, it's a pretty potent brew for for any storm that does uh look like it's going to make landfall in the continental united states so i'm i'm optimistic that yeah there's going to be a lot of drama there's going to be a lot of teeth gnashing over this but but i think kind of like the debt ceiling It'll get done. It may not be pretty, but it'll get done.
0: Um, from uh, from your mouth to uh, God's and uh, congressional leaders' uh, ears, uh, as the saying would go. Um, I just want to I, I want to get to um, the uh, climate. You know, you mentioned uh, climatological impact. The tragedy at Lahaina in uh, Hawaii uh, is is just uh, staggering. Um, at the time of this taping, 93, 96, I think confirmed dead. Um, more than a thousand uh, missing. Um, hotter than ever temperatures, a lot of non-indigenous, uh, um, you know, plants, uh, that dry out a lot faster, contributing to an explosive situation. And, you know, there's always a windy season in Hawaii. It was made worse the, this year by um, a, a typhoon, uh, nearby. Um, a, a lot of discussion about, and and there are climatological effects that are all over uh, the country that are likely to fuel, uh, greater, spending what is the impact of this wild card i don't think it's a wild card because our son is a climate uh uh scientist and you know he's pointed out to us that almost everything in the model that they said 40 years ago is a uh, uh, or 30 year plus years ago is actually happening so none of this should come as a surprise well, and, and yet I mean, some people are seeing this as a surprise does this change spending and
2: how well, do I'm, in, I'm in no i'm in maine at a at an off site basically um it's chatham house rules but You know, there have been a couple of discussions on climate impact, climate change. You know, I I think Fogo, there's always, you know, there's a view that it can't happen in my state or my district. Um, I don't think Hawaii would have been the top of anybody's list of places to see something like this happen. But, you know, you've seen these in California, Um, you know, so it'll it's an incremental change. You know, but I I still think it's going to be a couple of years for this to really percolate up. Um, And it really dovetails into a a broader discussion. How much debt can the U.S. government afford? And I think that it it kind of got, you know, you get wrapped around the axle of the debt ceiling. But, um, you know, if you don't spend money um, building more resilience, as you see, as you just see in, in Hawaii and, and kind of, you know, creating some fire breaks against what are probably going to be more more events like this. The, the incremental costs are much worse, um, both in, in human lives lost and property damage. And, you know, the the, the bills to clean up and, and fix all this stuff. So I, I just, it's going to take years to play out. Um, uh, there's been an interesting Here at this event, about uh, and I don't think no one knows. I mean, you know, economists, you can't you can't look at the U.S. federal government the way you would look at a corporation and say, yeah, they can, you know, borrow up to three times EBITDA. I mean, we do have a lot of uh, long-term liabilities, healthcare, social security, but um, you know, the, the someone ought to start raising the issue about if you don't spend money on this, you know, it's like not buying an insurance policy. Um, you're you're going to see, and the same with defense. It's like if you don't spend money on defense, well, what happens? You know, what happens in Taiwan or Ukraine? What whats isn't isn't that much worse if we fall through the uh, or, or walk through the human and economic costs of the loss of Taiwan, for example? Um, so it, it's the same mindset. We're not there yet. Um, it's going to take years, I think, a couple of years, and frankly, unfortunately, more events like this. But the needle will move uh it
0: is uh it is uh certainly uh very interesting and, and obviously you have the Fitch downgrade right I mean so folks yeah. are looking at that debt number whether or not people in Washington yeah thought, and I think
2: the Fitch the Fitch downgrade was really it wasn't about the debt number it was about the process right you know Washington's going around this it, it was it was a process downgrade not oh ding 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 we've had 120 percent of of uh, debt to GDP, that's, that's unaffordable. I mean, no, to me, when you read the Fitch downgrade, rate, it's like, this is shambolic the way we go about this. And it just, well,
0: and, and it gets the tax rates and reasonable yeah. tax rates on what it is we should be paying. Right. I mean, I, yeah. I think ultimately um, we, we're all living longer. We want more from government. You got to pay more for it as opposed to uh, paying dramatically less for it, whether we like it or not. Um, right. Let me uh, take you to, uh, we, we've only got about four Uh, three or four minutes uh, left. You wrote an interesting report uh, last week uh, that was not aimed at the usual uh, audience about what drives uh, companies. And that's gotten a great response from some people that we mutually admire. Uh, Walk us through uh, what you had to say and why you put it together.
2: What I was really trying to explain, Fago, it's really for the Department of Defense um, and members of Congress, how companies how public companies work and the role that um stock uh equity plays and the role that institutional investors play and you know you see a lot of pushback and I'm I'm not a big fan of of share buybacks but I understand why companies do it um I also understand and I tried to walk through this in a report you know if if they sit uh, if a company sits on cash you know there's a good chance that an activist investor is going to come along and solve that problem of what to do with the cash uh, for a current management uh, that would then be shown the door. So right. it was really just trying to get to this question of, um, you know, we may not like the way this system always works. Um, I, I really I don't, you know, for a moment doubt the the patriotism of um, people in large corporations uh, publicly and smaller public companies in the United States. I mean, I really do. They do believe in the security mission, but, um, you know, their incentives or goals are they're not measured on how much security they deliver to the United States. They are measured on how much cash flow they deliver, how much, uh, what their operating margin and and sales targets are. And those targets are weighed against not just other defense and aerospace companies, but against the broader market. And I think. The more that DOD and Congress can recognize that, maybe there are outcomes um, that, uh, you know, can you create more investment lanes? Can you, frankly, if if a company is not investing in its, in its business, you know, then you need to find other people who are. Um, but, you, you know, you're not going to change this by just railing against stock buybacks and saying, uh, oh, that, that's bad. And, uh, you know, we we paid for that. So that money belongs to us in the Department of Defense. It's like, no, um, you know, the title of the report was, you know, the other defense industry partner and kind of the lead in, you know, you and I go to a lot of these events and people in the DOD will use this term, our industry partners. And what I was really trying to say is, well, industry has another set of partners and they really, (laughs) they drive a lot of of how companies behave. So it's not a positive, I'm not taking sides on this. It was really just trying to recognize and explain that this is the way it is right now. Um, a lot of the changes that might need to be made are well above everybody's pay grade. But um, if you think about this, recognize it, then it might it might prompt some different attitudes and and frankly tools or paths to to change this. Um, right. You know, and if you can align corporate interests with the interests of the department and Congress. Um, I think that that could be a more positive outcome than just shaking your fist at shaved Uh
0: Exactly. Uh, shouting uh, at the wind as the saying goes. We've got a couple of seconds left. Give us an update on uh, what a, people ought to be paying uh, attention to over the course of this week.
2: It is August, Fargo. So uh, there is one event that I flagged, which was a Peterson Institute on uh, event on global shipping. I just think that's an interesting topic, uh, given you know the role the Navy plays uh, policing and protecting the commons. Um, but otherwise it's a very quiet week.
0: Byron, thanks very much. Bon voyage. Uh, and hope you have a great week and look forward to having you back on again next week. Thanks so much.
2: Thank you, Vago.
0: Cheers.